In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, I, I do read the gospel before I get up to, to preach on it. So I, I saw the wrong text. I'm like, that's not right. So I'm going to read the right one instead of the wrong one. Today is, as you know, the first Sunday of Lent. And a joke I always like to make with usually little uh, chuckles, but I, I still got to do it. If you can find a way, you know, the, the great litany is so thorough, if you can find a way to sin around the great litany and like, oh, it missed me, then, you know, kudos to you. There's sort of a, a sick admiration I might have for you uh, for that. But um, we are now in the season of Lent. Uh, as my daughter says, have an awful Lent. I guess she gets the penitential uh, part of it. It's kind of weird to say have a happy Lent. Uh, but I love Lent, and I, I love the, the Christian year because the Christian year is this participation uh, in the life of Christ. It's where we, we get in uh, on what he did. Now, as we talk about Lent being this season of where we journey into the wilderness with Christ for 40 days so that we can share in his victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. I think that's an important thing to understand is that we're journeying with Jesus and that he went into the wilderness for us. He didn't need to go. He, wasn't, he was tempted from without, not for within. It's so that he could right the wrongs so that he could be successful and victorious where we had failed, where Adam and Eve had failed, where Israel had fell, failed. It, it, the temptation of Jesus, it's, you know, Mark is very brief. Mark is the fast-paced gospel. So he just says, this is what happened. You know, he's, he's giving you the cliff, sort of the cliff notes gospel. The other gospels are, are, are more thorough. But Jesus is, is going into the wilderness and it's hard to not see because it's, it's overt. It's the intention of the gospel writer, of the inspired word of God. It's hard to not see the genesis uh, and the life of Israel in this passage. Uh, last year, I spent a lot of time on Genesis. I want to recap that quickly, but we're going to focus on how, how Jesus is making right uh, Israel's failings. And, and our failings too, as they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. But first, to Genesis. We see this sort of, you know, Eve and Adam don't do so well in the garden. The, the serpent won that one, if you will. But Jesus goes out in the wilderness as the second Adam to say, I got next. Let's get a rematch. Let's, let's run it back. And what happens uh, as, as we go out into the world, we face the same temptations that our first parents did. Uh, what does John say? He says, do not love the world, neither the things in the world, for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's exactly what's going on in the garden when Satan tempts Eve. She, she saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, that it was pleasing to the eye, the lust of the eyes, and that it was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. Because Satan ran this, this game on her 
that God's holding out on you. Oh, he knows if you do that, things are going to, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. And so he comes to the Son of God, and it's amazing. He, he, run, he tries to run his same exact strategy on, on Jesus. We see this more clearly in the Gospel of Matthew, where, for example, he says, he, can, he says if you are the Son of God, there, there's all a play on pride. The root of sin is pride. Every time he's like, if you are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. It's the lust of the flesh. Try, trying to play on that. Of course, Jesus being the perfect Lamb of God, he who knew no sin, doesn't fall for that. He also, it says, he takes them and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world. Look at what I could give you, the lust of the eyes. And then, of course, throughout this, if you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down from this pinnacle. The angels will surely catch you. There's this appeal to pride and to ego. And so, so Jesus conquers the temptations to which Adam and Eve succumbed. And let's make it more personal, to which we all succumb. And through his fasting and temptation, which again was, was for our sake, by virtue of our union with him, being united with him through baptism in his death and resurrection, by, by his death and resurrection, that is his blood shed on the cross, we can share in his victory. It was to redeem us. St. Gregory the, the Great wrote this. He says, It was not unworthy of our Redeemer to wish to be tempted, who also came to be slain, in order that by his temptations... He might conquer our temptations, just as by his death, he overcame our death. There's also many parallels between the temptation of Jesus. It, it, it brings up images of the Exodus in particular, but uh, Israel's history, its, it's unfaithfulness, her unfaithfulness, her, her wanderings uh, in the wilderness, and so Jesus goes out into the wilderness as this one-man remnant, as the faithful Israelite, uh, not repeating their mistakes, Israel's mistakes, but redeeming them from them. All the Scripture passages that, that Jesus quotes back to Satan, so Satan doesn't know Scripture well, I mean, he might know the content, but he doesn't know what it means. Twisted. All of the scripture passages that Jesus quotes back to Satan are from Deuteronomy, from the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 6 through 8, which were passages in their context that warned the Israelites against disobedience and reminded them of God's provision in the wilderness. And you can see, even, even in the temptations, you can, it's sort of... Um, there's allusions to Israel's history. I mean, even turn the stone into bread, hunger. What does Israel do in the wilderness? They're, they're always complaining about their bellies. I mean, God gives them bread from heaven, like literally sustenance falling from the sky, and they still complain. They, they, they grumble. They start to... Um, 
pine for Egypt even. Oh, it, would have been be- it would have been better back in Egypt under Pharaoh. Which, who was Pharaoh? Pharaoh is the archetypal. He's a type of Satan. And as an aside, I think sometimes we can, I've said this many times before, we can criticize people in the Bible. Why didn't, why didn't Israel just have more faith? I mean, how, how could you not trust God and follow God after you're seeing these miraculous provisions? Be, because the heart of faith, the, a heart which is faithless, that doesn't trust God, will not begin to trust him no matter how big the signs are no matter how great they are. You remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? He, he, he's, the rich man is, is suffering in torment in Hades. And he says, I, I, want, I, want my, I want my family to avoid this place. Send someone back. Send me back <laughs> so I can warn them. What's the response? They, they have Moses and the prophets. If they do not believe them, they will not believe, even if someone comes back from the dead. What we see primarily in the temptation of Jesus and his victory in the wilderness is we see him overcoming Israel's, and I would contend, humanity's besetting sin. What was Israel's the sin that so easily entangled them over and over and over again. Idolatry. Idolatry. They're worshiping other gods. They're building the high places. They're, they're doing pagan incense rituals. And God, man, he, he helps them. He's patient. I mean, what, what's, what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And we might not think that we struggle with idolatry. It's easy to sort of like, you know, eh, you know, because I, I doubt on your way home from work, you're like, man, I really want to, God help me, I want to pull over at Lowe's and I want to carve a statue and I want to bow down to it. You know, you're tempted to actually engage in like literal idol worship. But the, the human heart has this propensity to make idols, to, to prefer something, to exalt and rejoice and pursue something other than the Lord our God. Uh, the, the end of Psalm 95 which it's appropriate to, to pray that whole psalm uh, during Lent. So, uh, a portion of Psalm 95 and 96 are, are in the Book of Common Prayer and Morning Prayer known as the Venite. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. And as it gets to the end, it, it actually ends with a warning. It says, today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, 
They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Today, if if we will hearken to his voice, we find ourselves in the wilderness with Jesus, journeying towards the promised land, among the beast, tempted of Satan, beset by the world and the flesh as well. And we have a, we have a choice if we're a Christian. See, we've, we've gone through the Red Sea. We've received forgiveness by the blood of the spotless lamb. But we're journeying towards the promised land. And there are still, if we allow it to be, Satan does not have power over us unless we give it to him. There's, but there are still, if we let it hang around, these vestiges of Adam, these vestiges of Eve. And part of Lent is coming back and, and recognizing our identity in Christ and the ways in which we tend to, to feed the old man and the old woman and, and, and starve our, our new nature in Christ. And it's reversing that where we're like, no, we're, as Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you. That there's been this change of identity. We, we've gone under the floodwaters and we've come through these, these new creations and to live as such in the power of the Spirit. To truly set our minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So we have this 40-day period. What is it we're doing? I've already said a lot of things that we're doing. We're going into the wilderness with Jesus so that the only thing that comes out is what's of him. That the things of the world, the things of the flesh, the things of the devil, that those die. We are crucified with Christ. It's to be united with him and to become like him. So which way? Which way do I want to go? Which way do you want to go? Men, you want to go the way of Adam? Women, do you want to go the way of Eve? Which way, children of God? Do you, do you, do you want to go the way of Israel in the wilderness? The way of unbelief? and idolatry, or that of Christ, to whom you have been united in baptism and thus united to his death and resurrection, and therefore, enabled by the Spirit to walk in victory over sin, death, and the devil. Let us pray. O Lord, who for our sake didst fast 40 days and 40 nights, give us grace to use such abstinence that our flesh being subdued to the Spirit, we may ever obey thy godly motions and righteousness, 
righteousness, and true holiness to thy honor and glory, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen.